The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. It's crazy out there, folks. Hope you are staying safe and taking care of yourself. Take time to check in with yourself, with your friends. If you feel that a situation is not safe for you or for people, don't feel embarrassed. Just don't do it. Do what you need to do to get through everything. We're, well, we're all trying to be in this together. So please look out for each other and stay safe. So as we know, uh, COVID hit March of 2020. And in the shuffle, we somehow misplaced an incredible interview from Vonda Asafahu, who is the daughter of the founders and owners. And I, she's a owner in her own right, too, of Ayara Thai in uh, Los Angeles. And I have no idea how we lost it, but we found it. And it is an incredible, incredible interview about family and food and coming together. And I want to say we recorded it right before the restaurant world went upside down. And so we want to play it for you today. It's a beautiful story. And I think the last interview that I did in person. So very special. Um, we're happy to share it with you. And then we have an incredible and such a pleasure to have Tomi on, who hasn't been on Snacky Tunes since she was back on the show with XNY. In 2013, she's got a new single out, Lemon Tree, and she has a new EP coming out, what you're talking about, and we talk about childhood, creative process, um, the inspiration between Sweet Sweet Honey, which is the EP, which was actually never supposed to come out, and it's a great story on how she got there. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. About music with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. I am with Chef Vanda Asapahu, chef and owner of Ayara Thai here in Westchester. Yeah, right. nailed it <laughs> on the first try, right? Wink, 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 yes, wink. Yes, yes. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me to, I'll say house and home, because this yeah. place has been in your life forever. 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 So I live down the street. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. As a kid, I would ride my bike. This is a really cute street. It is. It's, a lot of people film on it. If you if you look yeah. back, there's a lot of people who film on okay, this Okay, because you turn on the street, uh-huh. and you're like, oh. I'm like in Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it feels like Main Street anywhere, but in the yes. best way possible. Yes. Um, yes. So you grew up as a restaurant kid. I've always been a restaurant kid. I grew up sleeping in old, like, broken refrigerators, like the deli refrigerators. Oh, my God. Doing my homework at a restaurant, um, going to bed really late because my parents, you know, need a, n- no child care. You have to be at the restaurant, but then you, like, they literally move your body like a corpse because yeah. you're already asleep into your bed. Just yes. put her with the, fla- the you know, uh, sacks of flour. Yes. Um, <laughs> Or rice, a bag or rice, of rice. A bag of rice. What did you learn as a restaurant kid or what unique perspective did you have that's been a guiding principle for you today? I think being um, 
a daughter of a immigrant entrepreneur, you learn how to be scrappy. You really learn how to make things work um, when you need it to work. Sorry, there's so much noise. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's active. It's real. We love it. Um, do you find that that perspective gave you an edge or an advantage in life to just keep moving forward, to not giving up to other people who may have said, this is too hard, I can't go forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the will to continue on and like yeah. in any light, you know, when any lemons are thrown at you, you're able to just overcome those obstacles. And that's definitely from the scrappiness, from being entrepreneur, from being an immigrant. Um, and I don't think any school can actually teach me that of what I've learned as being part of part of this family. Yeah. My parents started off, um, they're both college graduates. Mm -hmm. They moved here uh, when I, we moved the entire family. When I was five, my brother was four. They worked for Thai Airways. Thai Airways, Airways yes. And uh, they left Thai Airways and started their own business. My dad at that time thought that it would be fun to service gas stations. So he would do janitorial services for gas stations. Imagine to find fun. No one was doing it. Sure. No one was doing it, and there's an opportunity to do it. So right. at that time, we were living in the Pomona area, and he had gas stations that signed up for his service all the way from, like, Laguna Niguel to Glendale. Wow. Yeah, and we would go um, every weekend, and my job was to scrape gum. So I had to scrape gum in the drive, like the driveway yeah, yeah. of the gas station, and he would give me, like, I guess two pennies for it. This is in the 80s. For a piece of gum. For a piece of gum. Until the gas station owners were like, no, 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 you can't have a kid because it doesn't look That does not look, look good. Red. That's yeah. not great. Like That's two little great. kids hop out of a, a like a white uh, And then you're van. like, hey, don't say in between me and my pennies. <laughs> I need those pennies. Yes. So. It's definitely taught me like the yeah. value of a penny. No, like, of course. Yes, you have, you have to scrape the gum. Yeah. Um, I think I, we didn't have gloves. I don't even know. But yeah. It was the 80s. It, <laughs> it was, was a different 80s, time. Yes. Um, and both your parents uh, had backgrounds of food or knew how to cook before they came to the States. Can you talk a little bit about that? Definitely. My dad is a son of a chef. Mm. So my grandmother. Shout her out. Uh, my grandmother, she um, lived in along the Zhao Piao River in Bangkok, which Amazing. is a Chinese immigrant community. So my dad's a double immigrant. Chinese, China to Thailand, Thailand to the US. Um, and she would cook. She cooked in the palace, but she also cooked in a shop house to feed her to, to just feed, feed, feed her. There's eight kids in the wow. household. Yeah. And in a two story, two bedroom, like shop house cooked in the bottom. All the kids went to school, lived upstairs. Everyone contributed. My dad was the youngest. So, um, he contributed a lot. There was a huge age gap. Right. And so my dad grew up cooking, grew up, um, understanding food with his mom and within the Thai Chinese community, um, in some sin. Um, my mom was from Northern Thailand, the oldest of four. So she had to, my grandmother was a hairstylist. She turned her house into a salon. Amazing. So my mom would have to cook and put food on the table uh, while her mom was working late nights. So the entrepreneurial spirit is it's a like, tradition. It's in our DNA. It's, your, it's in your DNA. It's woven in. One of my favorite stories that I came across was that to get the food business off the ground in America, your parents would cook for the rotating crew that came in from Thai Airways, which I love because one, they because of the hours, yes, they came in on off hours and so nothing was closed. But also, 
what's better than to fly essentially across the world and then come to a home cooked home cooked meal? Like I can't think of anything better than that uh, because the other option, especially what in the eighties, landing in L.A. greasy takeout, greasy takeout, yeah. things like that, which is is fine every once in a while, but to know that you're going to come and land and have gorgeous, beautiful, fresh dishes. How did your parents run that business? So we've owned many restaurants. So at that point, there were already two restaurants. Yeah. And they weren't, rent was going up, issues with um, plumbing and all the horror stories of owning a restaurant sure. in Los Angeles. Yes. So they thought it would be easier to run a catering business that serves uh, Thai Airways crew out of our home kitchen. So we transformed our kitchen into a catering kitchen, pumped out about uh, 80 boxes of food twice a day. So it's all hands on deck. Any kid that come and came to hang out at my house was put to work. My mom didn't allow you to snack or eat until you help pack food. I thought we were playing Legos. <laughs> no, I'm come and help. Rolls. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yes, definitely. But that's amazing though, because that's got to show you again, just reinforcing that it takes whatever it takes to make it happen. Yeah, every all hands on deck, everyone's involved. Um, and that I think helped us learn the fundamentals of cooking. My earliest memories like of cooking, cooking rice using a mortar pestle, which is like the fundamental of oh, Thai yeah. food, to make chili paste, to make yep. curry paste. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had those opportunities if it wasn't for my parents' entrepreneurial spirit and the spirit of putting every member of the family to work. Now, Thai cuisine has become so ubiquitous in America. What was it like in the 80s? Was there an education process when your parents opened their first, because they had two restaurants and now they have this one here, but. They had two restaurants that opened and closed. Did it take a long time to get people to understand what Thai food was? Absolutely. In the 80s, we had a restaurant in East L.A. Okay. It was across from like a Wiener Schnitzel. And we had to label it as Thai Chinese. Sure. As Thai Chinese, I think it's a privilege to really cook what you want. Of course. And what we eat and to serve it is a huge privilege. We had to cook chow mein. We had to cook orange chicken, lemon chicken, whatever it was, to get people through the door and then maybe sprinkle in a tom yam or a pot thai along the way, which now is like so synonymous to Thai food. Oh like my every God. every one Pad Thai is Pad Thai is now like Thai is now the like the slash that gets people in the door for the new Yes, the new like Malaysian, Asian, Malaysian Filipino yeah, or, Burmese, whatever. Yes, yeah. Yes. Um but, but chow mein was that of yeah. pad thai in the 80s. But what was that struggle like? Like, did your parents, you know, at no point were your parents like, we're giving up on our culture. They weren't giving up. They still cooked with, you know, the authentic Thai flavors. Even I think our chow mein had a bit of Thai, like chilies and um, cilantro in it, which you won't find in, in an American chow mein. So I think they weren't giving, they didn't give up. But the struggle wasn't of difficulty putting food good food on the table. The struggle was being business owners and having to navigate um, lease contracts and um, vendors, you know, who promise to bring you, deliver food, but never come. So you have to go out and, and go and buy that food. And so um, it was always a struggle being a business owner first and not really a chef. Did people like the food? I mean, people love the food. We right. had a following. We I mean, we lived in Montebello. Sure. The rest, first restaurant was in East LA. Second restaurant was in Montebello. To this day, we still have those the people who were our original OG fans dining here. They would drive all the way here. They're a lot older now, 
but they but still. That, I mean, yeah. if that doesn't speak to the hospitality and to the food and to the cuisine, how many of those people were introduced to real Thai food for the first time through your parents? Many of them, yeah. And even before that, if we want to um, move back, before we even opened the restaurant, we lived in a community with a lot of Thai Laos immigrants, mm -hmm. and everyone had two plus kids. And so it was really hard to feed everyone in the community. So all of our parents would pull money together and cook together and then make big batches. So as kids, I remember sitting on the floor on a newspaper. I'm like, oh my God. Looking back now, it was like, oh, but it was so much fun. And we would eat like as a family. And it was actually, I asked my mom recently, she's like, it costs very little, probably $5 per family so that everyone has a quality warm meal. And I think that's just speaks to the like geniusness of being scrappy immigrant entrepreneurs. Amazing. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick musical break. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about you getting involved in the restaurant and then your travels across the world and then coming back home. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Nothing left here to see 
no one needs any of our seeds, but you still think that everyone wants a Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Chef Vanda, and we are talking about her family's incredible Thai restaurant, Ayara. Did I get it? Yeah. yeah. Ayara Thai. Only nine tries. So, <laughs> um, your parents have the restaurant. They've landed on this location, which is still here today. Um, and you made a little bit of an illusion in the first part about when you started getting involved. But when... Did they put you to work? How old were you and what do you remember? So this restaurant was built in 2004. It was right at the time I was graduating college. So I, my brother and I, and, and we recruited a bunch of friends, painted the walls. We actually cut out the um, alcoves with our elephant. Oh, yeah, we did so all of cute. this. We you know, mapped it out and cut it out and had uh, someone help, picked out all of the tables, chairs, tiles, everything. This was after graduating college. Um, I was headed to grad school, headed to Yale after UCLA. So Humble brag. it was, yes. <laughs> and um, so I had a short summer. Yeah. Uh, UCLA, I think we got out in June and I had to go back to school in August, so one month. And we were supposed to open during that time. And of course, nothing in restaurant ever goes no, as planned. especially not in LA. Yeah, so I went um, to, 
I had to go to school and I left and my parents opened the restaurant in late August. Got it. Um, so fast forward four years from there, graduated, um, graduated grad school. Uh, the tsunami happened and was given opportunity. I was in school for public health. Got it. Health policy. Uh, the tsunami happened, was given an internship, uh, worked through with tsunami, in tsunami relief. Uh, met some amazing people, was offered a job back in Thailand after I graduated, uh, went there, then was offered a position at the UN. So I was in Thailand for about four years working on reproductive health, um, tuberculosis, global fund Incredible. projects. Uh, for about four years, got burnt out. We was Hold on, before you go back to the States, what did you learn about Thailand and your ancestral roots from being there that really struck a chord with you? Because it's one thing to be immersed in it in a first generation or second generation community in America, uh-huh. but it's one thing to be home. Definitely. Like really home. So what did you take away from that? It was a struggle at first because every time I would go back to Thailand, it would be with my family and it would be family with family. Sure. This is the first time as an adult living on my own, which I wanted to do. We have a family house. They could have fed me, drove me, whatnot. Sure. No, I wanted to live on my own, uh, pay my own ways. Um, I think traveling by bus in the beginning and then evolving to um, driving. So I actually drove without a license in Bangkok. That's another podcast. <laughs> and um, getting to work. Uh, the, the UN gave me, you know, many opportunities to one hone my skills as in speaking Thai. My Thai was limited to Thai at home. Like, are you hungry? Um, where are you going today? What's going on? Uh, how was your day? That was a basic. The UN allowed me to really like dive deep into the Thai language, using it more in a professional setting, speaking in front of thousands of people, Amazing. using it in uh, rural areas where I had to go and monitor or um, do training uh, with local health staff and um, personnel. Um, it allowed me to travel. So my limit on Thai food was always my mom's northern Thai and my dad's central Thai with a bit of Chinese flair Mm. in it. I've never really explored, you know, what it is is northeastern Thai, southern Thai food. And the UN, obviously, they don't take you to the most developed areas. We always traveled to areas where during the monsoon season, it takes you six hours by boat where it would normally take you only one hour. So we got there, we would try some wicked, amazing, different type of, you know, this is Thai food, but it's not the Thai food that I'm used to. No, I mean, it's very regional as well. Yes, regional, um, ethnic cuisines, like there's some uh, tribal cuisines that we've had um, up in the northern region. The most southern region, I was in the two most southern um, provinces Mm. that we had to get special clearance to go into because of the civil unrest. Wow. Um, and the food there was amazing. I mean, life went on for the people there. Gotta eat. What you see on the news is not what you get. Um, yeah. It never is. It never is. So amazing, amazing experience. And that, you know, only, um, and like, 
Reinforced? Reinforced, yeah. yes. Reinforced my love for food. And I wanted to do something. I actually was going to open a restaurant. We were with some friends, open a noodle shop like on the side. We actually procured in a Thailand. cart in Thailand. Procured a cart, got a website up. I think Instagram was really new. We got Instagram up. Uh, was going to legit open um, a noodle shop on the street. Was going to possibly open, uh, farm rice. My dad like walked me off the ledge every time. I was like, <laughs> I did not <laughs> move my family. Nothing against rice farmers. Like to, for you to yeah. to break your back on on this. Like let's, let's right. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, you're burnt out. You're burnt come out. Home. Come home. If you want to do food, we have a restaurant. <laughs> so you come home and I was with, unemployed. You're unemployed. Unemployed. Figuring what I want, and this is like probably in twenty. 2009, so 11 years ago. Right. Um, Post-bust. Post-bust, yes. Post-bust everywhere. Everywhere, and people weren't hiring. Applied for a few jobs, got it, it, but asked them to hold off. Don't don't let me in yet for about three four months. So I need the idea to travel. wasn't to just come back and come into the family business. No, it was not. I wasn't ready. I knew that coming to the family business was inevitable one day, sure. but I didn't think it would be this soon. So I traveled South America for a good maybe six weeks with my siblings. Best trip of my life. Yeah. Best trip. Um, what did you learn there? To love my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> we were away for so long from yeah. each other. Um, I, mean, I always tell my parents, like, the best gift they gave us is each other. Mm. And uh, to love each other. To always support one another. And I mean, I'm sure it's the same with you. Mm-hmm. There's days that you hate each other. Mm-hmm. And there's days like you know that no one has your back like your siblings. Yeah. And I can't imagine life without them. That's amazing. Yeah. And so we struggled. We like hiked. We backpacked. We hung our underwears because it didn't dry, you know, on our backpack and walked. We made fun of each other. We made each other cry and laugh at the same time. And really, like, what is life about? Like, am I going to travel somewhere else to work? Or do I want to be here and, like, witness? My my sister and I are 12 years apart. So wow. I miss her growing up. I miss being a part of that. Um, I miss my brother, who's a year younger than me, you know, through his struggles and whatnot. So I'm like, I really want to be home. So I gave up the opportunities to, to take on those other jobs. Kind of... Uh, regrouped and try to decide what I wanted. Meanwhile, um, this is like during the growing pains of um, restaurant. Um, I think we were in year six, yeah, year seven. Yeah. yeah, And there were legal issues. So we had many legal issues, whether it's tax or labor laws. My parents would just hire anyone, didn't care whether they had any documents, paid them, you know, under the table, whatever was negotiated. And for many people, it worked. You know, we saw a lot of people have a good livelihood. Um, but obviously, Uncle Sam wasn't being paid for mm-hmm. all of the taxes, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, payroll taxes. So we had a lot of legal issues. And so I spent a good maybe three months during that time uh, lining all the ducks up setting up their business, reconfiguring um, what we would do with you know, payroll, how we would bring in each employee, what training program, what they have to sign, contracts, um, health care, hmm. wanted to provide health care. So I think this speaks on like a lot of, my parents have always been entrepreneurs. 
the struggle in America is not the idea, is the executing without falling into these legal debt. I mean, how much did you, I don't want to say fight, because that's not the right word, but... Struggle through? Well, with your parents about being, being like, okay, you've been doing this business, you've been in the business for yourselves for 10, 20, 30 years, we want to bring this into the future somewhat or modernize it or make sure everything's above water. Yes. Uh, and I'm not telling you that you're wrong, but I'm saying like... Oh, yes. There were, it was hard you know to what convince I mean? like, my dad. Like, yeah. well, we did it all. We did it this way. Could we just continue doing it? You know, um, I'm, I'm not proud to say this, but like my, some some employees even wanted, I don't want to do payroll. Like, I seriously don't want. I want cash. Can you just do half payroll, half cash? I'm like, no, we have to do it all yeah. or nothing. Like, I don't want you to be butthurt in the future and come back for me. Come back to me and sue me because I gave you cash yeah. and you weren't on it. And you didn't, you were, you know, partially employed and not fully employed and didn't qualify for health care workers comp or other benefits that you, you should have had. I don't want that, you know. And I think my parents were just really easy with everyone. I'm and sure. really wanted to just come in we need yeah. help we had you know and everyone was happy but we didn't want that and we I struggled by, with my parents you know like doing them seeing how much tax was at the end of the year and how much payroll tax and all and compared to what they paid before it's tough. obviously that all of that overhead operational costs all went up when I entered it wasn't it wasn't easy to be the bearer of bad news or the police you know and, and how to police this business. But what's the end result then? Where we picked ourselves up, we paid off everything, we overcame all those legal battles, and we purchased this building. That's amazing. We were renting for a long time. Right. And so we were able to buy this building. And now you have a place for not just today, but tomorrow. Tomorrow, and- yeah. If one day we you know, decide not to want to cook anymore, we still have this building. I mean, I think that's the American dream to own property. <laughs> I think that is actually what right? I've learned is that it's a real estate game. Yeah, it's a real estate game. It's a game. real estate like, game. Like, they teach you when you play Monopoly, yeah. but it's really, like, this is a life game. You need it. That yeah. Monopoly. It doesn't matter the business that you put in, but to own real estate is is key. So, in addition to bringing business acumen to the restaurant, did you bring any dishes or any perspective from your food travels uh, in Thailand? Definitely. Um, some of it was, you know, things that my parents grew up eating or us eating at my our, my grandmother's house in Thailand and or we ate it all the time at our house, but we never just, you know, wanted to put it on the menu simply because they didn't feel it was elevated enough. It wasn't uh, fancy enough. A dish that we tried putting on in 2004 when we, um, when we opened this restaurant was khao soi. Mm. And um, I had some amazing hasai in Thailand. Came back, I'm like, why don't we put it on? That's They're like, so oh, we good. did it. We did it before, and it didn't work. And why would we do it again? It didn't work then. And now hasai is like the pot Thai replacement. Oh yeah. For all the hipster like Thai places in New York and in LA. Um, I would say that is the dish that if people want to prove. That they're Thai. That they're Thai. Or just like no <laughs> Thai menu. Thai. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, myself equally is guilty. But it's so warm and comforting. <laughs> it is warm and comforting. It is warm. And now we want to expand on that. Like we cook Thai, you know, home cooked food. And there's dishes like uh, cabbage, stir fried and fish sauce, mm. which like 
it's basic. It feels basic, but to cook it well, you need yeah. a really hot wok. Yep. You need quality fish sauce. You need to know where to drop the fish sauce and when to lift it, and you have to eat it immediately. Dishes like that is like home comfort food. I love that. That like my parents would never dream of putting because it just seems so basic to them. But um, you know, we decided to put it on and got really good feedback uh, from the Westchester community, the Los Angeles community, to come in and, and continually dine. It's interesting of what people might consider basic, but it just is sort of authentic, yes. which is a complicated word. Yes, uh, and, and I hate to use the word authentic. I know, me too, but I, I haven't but... found a better word. <laughs> honest, maybe it's more honest cooking. Genuine, Genuine, yeah. Genuine's maybe a better word. It's like, this is genuinely what we eat. Like, yeah. not everything is this complicated, intricate Right, and I don't, process. I, I can't say that this is exactly what you'll get in Thailand. And people come in all the time, they're like, this is not what I get in Thailand. I'm like, well, what you get in Thailand, we, living in, in California, we have some of the freshest produce, the best meats. Like, yeah. I, have, I know legit, like, some Thai folks who bring USDA meats, like, in their luggage to Thailand and yeah. then make it in Thailand. And you find the same in K-Town as well. Yeah, and where the, qual yes, Koreatown, where mm. the meats are, like, of higher quality than in Korea. Yeah. So you're going to yield something even different in, in, in flavor and in value. And I don't ever claim that this is exactly what you're going to eat in Thailand, but this is exactly what you'll eat when you come to my house here yeah. in LA. But you know, when you were talking about going to those villages and eating, you didn't say locally, but it is locally in these small, you know, they're not going to a market 50 miles away. There is a very similar approach in California where it's like you just source where the farmer's market is or down the street. Absolutely. And in many ways, the, at least the, the parallels and the approach to cooking yes. is the same while the flavors may not be, but it's like, we're just gonna cook for the village, which is Westchester or K-Town or East LA or something like that. Yes, I think someone said, I wrote a, a Yelp review for us, Ayara is where you come to please your Asian mom and your white boyfriend. Ah, that's pretty <laughs> so good. So that's like, that's, I wanna put it on a t-shirt. I think you should. I mean, rest <laughs> restaurant merch is the whole, just restaurant, put it, right? just put get it a crew neck sweatshirt and just put it on there. <laughs> Um, no, but I do, I mean, I feel that uh, I would never put a dish out that my parents would not approve of in fair. terms of flavor. Sure. In terms of flavor. Some things, like I did a, a Thai ceviche, they're like, what ceviche? And I'm like, Dad, it's just like yam tale, uh, you know, but in a, with, with avocados and a little bit more of a Spanish flair. And he's like, okay, he ate it. He's like, oh, I see it. It's It has Thai. The, the flavor profile, you know, the it layers out it's there's there. a tart the saltiness the spice i'm good like there, he was good with it um so i would never put anything out that my parents would not eat but at the same time it like reflects us growing up in la with you know a bag of chips and some chili like frito chili during lunch or a corn dog and um that is as much like me as a like a bowl of curry amazing well, thank you so much. Thank you. Congratulations thank you for this on everything. Of course, where can people go to visit the restaurant, buy any of the sauces that you guys make, or if they just want to see the awesome food you make online, where can they go? They can go to our Instagram, at Ayara Thai, and from there, they can go to our website, come in to dine with us. So, Instagram, at Ayara Thai, A Y A R A T H A I. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.org.
to worry all the time It's like your head is upside down You like my goldfish in a hole But still your life goes on and on My mind was never still It's like an ocean running wild Yet always drifting from side to side My moon is running The Big Food Question is partnering with TD Bank on five special episodes about the resilience of small businesses in the face of a constantly shifting pandemic landscape. We cover avenues for accessing grants, loans, and financial services through federal and local government programs, as well as via nonprofits. We examine the benefits worker cooperatives present to workers, communities, and our food system, and share resources to learn more about operating under this model. We're talking to business owners who started pop-ups and became permanent during the pandemic to see what we can learn. Don't miss these episodes. Subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to TD Bank for supporting this programming. Tommy, welcome back. Back to Snacky Tunes. <laughs> it's good to be back. It's good to be back again. Um, we're not going to keep the charade up. We already had a conversation. And uh, the universe said, it was good, but I think we can get great. And so we're sitting down again. <laughs> it's take two. Take two with Tommy. So congratulations. Lemon Tree is out. And she's alive. She's well. She's thriving. She's thriving. Um, it's been out now for a week. Yes. She's one week old. Is your baby walking yet? And how does it feel as a proud mother to release this track into the world? 
<laughs> she's talking. She's walking. She's really feeling herself. She came together really quickly as an adult. Um, she's just like, you know, she's a sensitive woman. You know what mm. I mean? She has a lot to say. She's like, you know, she's she's a seven minute, 40 second song. You know what I mean? There's depth there. You know, when I think of seven minute songs in my life, I think of um, Stairway to Heaven. Yep. Think of Only in Dreams, Weezer. And now I have yes. Lemon Tree. What's the story behind this track? What's what's the what did you uh, what did you want to stay on this epic journey? Yeah, so, I mean, it's so long, like, in time-wise, time, time wise, because it's split into two parts. And it, I really wanted it to start with this kind of reflection process and really, like, looking into memories and what we want to remember, what we don't want to remember, like, um, how to remember the small, mundane moments, like, just things like having a glass of wine or just laying in a hammock, these, like, really beautiful, simple moments. And this was written about a relationship that has since dissolved. Mm. Um, and it was just a reflection about that time and kind of just paying homage to the to the time that we had together. And the second half of the song is this plea for forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness and regret and just, you know, growing up and realizing that everybody makes mistakes and um, and it's really tough to have... Uh, you know, an open, honest relationship. I think it takes a lot of work, which I've learned just by <laughs> messing up a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but this song is really just a representation of that. And like, and that love stays. It doesn't really, it doesn't leave. Like if, if it's, if it's like real love, I think it just stays with you, which is beautiful to me. Mm. That is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, it's been a journey for you to get to the solo project because the last time, well, the last time we had you on was last week. But the time before that <laughs> was back in 2013 uh, with XNY, uh, which was a duo. What was the journey like from the duo to the solo project? Oh, man. It was, I XNY was seriously like some of the most fun I've ever had. It's just mm-hmm. having that kind of band where it's just two people and you can really feed off of each other and grow together. It was really a beautiful band. Like from that moment, I really just wanted to get more into production and get more into like a really um, intimate personal songwriting process. And I think with a band, especially like X and Y, where it's like as as much freedom as you have because it's only two people, so it's only two opinions. It really mm-hmm. our whole thing was to keep it as two people. So like the dynamics of the sonic landscape um, were really specific. It was it was very much mm-hmm. guitar, drums, vocals, and not much else. And I think with Tommy and starting that project, I just wanted to dive into like a, a, just a sonic landscape experimentation, like give myself more freedom to create whatever I wanted and whatever I was feeling, which is also why this record is so exciting to me because it's such a different direction than previous songs I've released because it's like very, it's like stripped down everything to the basics and I'm just going to build it up from there because... Dude, the pandemic got me. You know what I mean? It got everybody. Mm-hmm. And it it's, a <laughs> it's a lot of layers. It's a lot of layers. You did talk about that uh, in one of the things I read that it, you said, sometimes we have to leave everything behind in order to evolve. 
which sounds like what you're doing, which is stripping the music down. But I think you're also talking about stripping your life down. How oh, do yeah. those two dovetail? Yeah, I um, I started to meditate. I got really into, over the last year, I've gotten really into stripping back everything. Like stripping back um social time like people I think like especially I think a lot of people like realized who were healthy and like positive friends and humans in their lives during this time and like who was really there and who you wanted to be there for and I think that um just like that alone stripped back so much and like gave me a lot of time to myself to reflect and I I really like went back to the basics like eat well meditate go for Mm. walks go for runs it was like doing basic human activities to just stay healthy in all senses because it was just such a the last like decade seriously since changing from x and y to tomi has been like just a really intense ride because it's not there's like no one else to lean on so it feels i don't know i just it's like you have to get yourself together and strong if you want to do more with your life you know you know you got a family (laughs) I got a family. But yeah, as you get older and as everyone has their own shit, including yourself, looking externally for answers or to feel good about yourself gets harder and harder. And then you go, well, maybe I can't look outside. Maybe I got to look inside and that some things that seem real one day are not real the next. And that's the only thing that, that changes is your perception. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, All right, let's hear a song. First one up is right through me. What's the story behind it? This song is exactly about what we were just saying. It's about, Mm. it's about like feeling like you need outside validation and and really realizing that everything is within you. And it's about feeling transparent for good or, or, or bad. It's just about being like, this is I feel like every, it's like basically saying, I feel like everyone can see right through me and I don't even know what is there anymore. And it's just kind of reflecting on that thought. So anyways, mm. here it is. <laughs> here we go. Right through me, live from Tommy here on hrn.org.
song hits home probably pretty close to home given what i i feel like i've been going through the last few weeks um you know obviously the pandemic uh hit us all in different ways and i'd love to talk about how it maybe hit you creatively i think as an artist there's no way not to internalize world events personal events and then try and make sense of it and put it back out into the world for your either yourself or to connect with which seems to have taken the form of this sweet sweet honey ep Um, oh yeah i think what was the story behind it you know what's uh what what did you take what did you filter what did you put back out yeah so i i think the biggest um the biggest change especially as a musician was and i know a lot of musicians have felt this way is the not being able to perform or like Mm. play even like collaborate and play with people in the room was such a shock. Like it was an identity crisis. Like I truly like, like personally, just from my, my uh, experience, it was just like one of those things where I was like, if I don't have that, like that, that's like the main reason why I do, why I play music is just that connection. And, you know, like catching that like unexplainable energy in a room is really beautiful. And I think, not being able to have that was such an intense experience that I was like, okay, what does music mean to me? I mean, I came off of, I released two EPs through a major label, went through that system and came out right before the pandemic without a label, without a team and really like started from scratch. And so I had like a big um, come to Jesus moment of just like, what Mm -hmm. do I want to sound like and what like what's been going on in the last decade why do I feel so lost and like how do I find myself again 
So this record I actually wrote as a secret. I like didn't mm-hmm. I wasn't going to release it. I was just going to like heal like myself and and try to like understand how to be a better person and a better like friend and a better family member and just be better. And I think in doing so and in writing this music, I've just I'm really proud of what it is and it's not anything that I've ever released before. It's just like a it's like a total starting from scratch, starting at the root moment. But in writing and creating for something that you think no one else is going to hear, that's got to be liberating and allow you to go in a different direction than going, is this going to hit? Are people going to like this? Yeah. And I was like, I just, I went, so I flew, I was in LA and I flew home after this really uh, intense breakup. Um, and I didn't have a place to stay in LA because of the pandemic and I felt pretty lost and I, and I flew home and was like, I'm, I just need to heal myself. I don't want to like, I really was almost like, I don't even want, I want to kill Tommy. Like, I don't even know what I want. And writing this was the most liberating thing. I just used like my dad's guitar and like all the drums in the record, which there's a few moments, um, are all just me like hitting a desk. Like everything Hmm. is just whatever I had around. And I just didn't really, I wasn't concerned about it sounding professional. I just wanted it to sound like I wanted to like feel it more than anything. I mean, that's a, a beautiful sentiment just to try and capture feelings and put some form to them, which I think is something that we've all been trying to do in the last year and a half. Oh, totally. Yeah. And like, get it out of your body and out of your mind and put it somewhere. Yeah. And the fact that you can take those, put it out to music and then it's, I mean, if not physical, say like, okay, like I, I've timestamped it. I've purged it. Um, I hope people connect with it, but now I can move on to the next creative endeavor. Totally. Exactly. It's nice. And it's so much about like grief and like healing that I do feel like it's something I hopefully the other people can connect with and, and, and that it can help them in some capacity. Yeah. And I think it ties into the next track they can play. Who was I, which again, seems like a very reflective looking backwards and then contemplating who that person was. But tell me in your own words what the story is behind that song. This song is about identity and the loss of identity. And really, um, I think, from, from again, from my experience, like being in a, re- a, re- a long-term relationship, as beautiful as it was, I, it's really easy to get lost in somebody else's perception of you. Mm-hmm. And this is about almost needing that person's gaze to tell you who you are and when it's not there feeling like oh shit (laughs) like I don't even know who I am without this person next to me like how am I going to stand up on my own two feet and this um it's about wanting that feeling again that safety but knowing that you have to move forward to find yourself in a stronger place so Mm. here we go Here we go. Who Was I by Tommy here live on hrn.org. So I was taking out my old trash bin 
Awesome song, very reflective. It's uh, man, so much inward looking. I, it's so interesting to go through this slow moving global trauma tragedy together and have it feel so uniquely personal, and then at the same time so um, 
global, but also, but yeah. not unifying in any way. Totally. Isn't it? And it's so, isn't it bizarre that everyone yeah. is going through the same thing? I mean, obviously on different levels, but it's like, we're all experiencing this one moment together as humans. And it's really, really, it's so, it blows my mind. I can't even fathom it. Yeah. Uh, I cannot. And because I think when you start digging in and trying to compare it, it's just, I mean, it's like you said, it's like you got to just see what is your own experience. And that's sort of what you got to stack it up against. Absolutely. Um, and try and hopefully connect with other people about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, allow us to, I don't want to say lighten the mood because it's not like we're having a heavy talk, but it is very <laughs> rare that anyone, especially any band ever brought us any food on the show. And you and Jacob brought these ribs <laughs> which I still think about when you came on as X and Y. Yes. And we talked a little bit about cooking then, but I wanted to check in to see what you're cooking now, what food you made at your parents' house, if you dip <laughs> back into childhood favorites, or was there like a mommy make me dinner type of thing? Okay, so first of all, those ribs have won countless rib I competitions. I buy it. It's you sweet. It it's first. salty. I mean, these are cla- This is a classic Jacob Pam excursion. <laughs> no, it's it's. Uh, I think about them in the tub where they came in, and I remember eating <laughs> them on the air with no shame. No shame. Uh, no shame. <laughs> yeah, I I love those herbs. I think about them almost every day. I, I've been eating a lot of Italian. I've come from an Italian mm. family. When I was back home, we were, it was pasta, chicken parm, chicken piccata, lots of chicken. I mean, it went, mm-hmm. we went all out. I'm like, I had, po- like, listen, I was making pasta last night. I was like, I need, I just need my, my roots. Comfort and food. Comfort and food. I'm also a huge sushi fan. So I did dabble in a lot of sushi when I was back home. Mm. That New York life. That New York sushi. Oh, my it's, mouth uh, is it's watering. A, <laughs> it's a pricey, New York sushi is a pricey, a pricey dabbling. It is. I know. It's actually, you can have like, it's like one meal a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know the track Lemon Tree, which I believe you're going to close the show out uh, with, um, is about looking backwards and things like that. But I, Got to ask, got to hope. Are you picking lemons these days? Are you making anything <laughs> with lemons? I mean, a, a, a boy can dream of a food and music show, can he? That's more than just a, a name only. Oh, my God. I should make lemon candies for the shows for, for yep. merch. Wow, you just blew my mind. Um, I am picking a lot of lemons. I My sister sent me a lemon tree for the album or for the song release. So I have mm. a lemon tree growing now in my yard. It hasn't brought any you know lemons to the surface but i mean we have uh we have a lime tree and it's like the guys like yeah in four years you'll get a lime like okay (laughs) sweet the trees are interesting there's actually i've heard that an avocado tree can only grow and produce avocados if there's another avocado tree right near it Hmm. isn't that interesting this is what i've heard yeah listen correct me if i'm wrong yeah right in um, right. But yes, well, now you have a lemon tree and now you can uh, you can um, listen to it under your own lemon tree. What a beautiful yeah. thing. And the smell of lemons. Now I'm like forever just hearing this song in my head. 
Mm, yeah, we have a grapefruit tree that flowers every once in a while. And it's just like California citrus, baby. I know, paradise. Cannot fight it. Cannot fight it. Um, well, listen, I want to make sure, because I know this last song is is a bit of a of an epic, so I want to make sure we have enough time to hear it. Um, if people want to check out the EP, if people want to check out the music, they want to follow along, see what you're up to, tour dates, fingers crossed, live shows? Yes, February. February. Mm-hmm. Enough of these fall plans, Delta variant means <laughs> to get back to shows. Exactly. Yeah, I, um, if you want to hear any, yeah, the yeah. name, the name Tomi.com. So it's spelled out the name Tomi.com. And that's also my Instagram handle. Yeah, all the info's on there. And the EP comes out October 8th. So check it out. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sitting down again. I think the universe had a plan and I think we knocked it out even more. I think so too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. And thank you uh, to Vonda for the last episode that we found that we recorded back in March 2020 that somehow lost in the shuffle that opened up the show. What a beautiful story of family and food. Uh, we have another episode next week, but here we go. Tommy, Lemon Tree is a single here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org. We'll see you next time.
program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.